Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the pain in my neck to my blood sucking vampire, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Better than you. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks, man. No joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been I've been doing fun family stuff, and, and you've you've been having a couple weeks. Yeah, the fate the fate freight train has decided to pull into the station and offload a bunch of BS. I was going to say things are better now, but yes, I know what you were doing like an, about 20 minutes ago, so never mind. Yes. Uh. <laughs> On the plus side, the negligent piece of city council person is uh, potentially getting fired on Thursday, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, oh my. Okay, I'll have to bleep the, the S-bomb, but... Yeah, he made a disparaging comment about teachers that got picked up on national news, and they are now... Um, holding a special session just to talk about his naughtiness. This is Jonathan's long-standing story about how he's going to end up on city council. Just you watch. Just you watch. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. I think, I think we've moved out of, like, the prologue, you know? I think this is, like, the first act, but I think the first act, this might be coming to an end of the first act. I, I, just, I just got this gut feeling. Well, we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> Well, before we get too far along, uh, between episodes, listener Wes and his lovely wife, Claire, they had a baby. So I wanted to just wish him congratulations on baby Jack. He's adorable. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Long time listener to the show. And it's fun when he starts listening to the show. He just sort of like starts live tweeting it to me. And it's like, you know, like when I'm editing the show and I just start like responding to you, like, like of things that we've been talking about like later. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I get that from him. When he's listening to the completed episode. I have to say, those are some of my favorite text strings. (laughs) Randomness does occur. Well, as always, we want to get our episode started off right. And the right way to do that is to say thank you to all our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the beats just so fresh. (laughs) We we drop sick beats now. Is that our thing? (laughs) It's it's a gift, Robert. It's a gift. (laughs) (laughs) you just sounded like half of the european discos i've been to Mm, european discos Mm. that's when you're outside the club that's inside the club (laughs) (laughs) now it's a very special day today robert as always yeah, unfortunately, we had to not not do our last episode. We delayed it a week. Last episode was awesome, and I encourage you to find out more about it because of uh, all the stuff that's going on. But la- if we'd recorded on time, it would have been Happy National Buffalo Soldier Day, which was a fascinating Wikipedia spiral to go down. Oh, yeah, no, that's amazing. However, one week later, the best we got is Happy National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. You know, I'm okay with that because it's been a chocolate chip cookie kind of day. There you go. There you go. You're going to run out to the convenience store, get yourself a Diet Coke and chocolate chip cookies later? No, man, I'm off the Coke. You're off the Coke? That's probably also why I'm a little bit off. I'm drinking sparkling water today. At Costco, they have oh, Izzy's? Izzy's. We started getting Izzy's. 
Yeah, my my wife likes to have a little bit of fizziness because of nausea, but uh, we were doing Sprites. But Sprites have way too much sugar, man. So yeah, we I can't drink a whole Sprite. It's way too uh, sweet. Oh, agreed. Most sodas are. That is, like that is a legitimate though. problem. But sparkling water, to me, is just like angry water. Like, it's not it – just, it's just mad at you. Oh, that explains why I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> water that fits your personality. That's not my joke. I stole it from somebody and I don't remember who, so I apologize. I will, I will seed that joke. Angry water. Oh, sparkling water is angry water. It's man, not mine. if you've ever spent any kind of time in the stand-up comedy arena, you know everybody's borrowing everybody's jokes. I know, but I – Some people like, just sell it better if, than others. If I knowingly am stealing someone's joke, I'm going to say that out loud because I don't want to be that guy. If I'm not knowingly doing it, then it's just, you know, whatever. But I knowingly stole that joke, so I want to call out that that was not mine. Are you getting a chocolate chip cookie today, Robert? No, no, no. Actually, we got weirdness. Uh, they, they have a lot more uh, Asian food at our local Costco, so <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Uh, I bought my wife a giant bag of shrimp-flavored potato chips with garlic butter, and I'm kind of horrified, that but I'm kind of intrigued. like a nightmare in a bag. I know, I know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's either going to be a nightmare in the bag or – it's going to be like amazing. And I, what have I been missing all my life? Also there, <laughs> you know, I went through that exact same thought process when I got my bag of Burger King, French fry and ketchup potato chips. Yes. Yes. 100% right? nightmare from concentrate. There yeah. was no salvaging that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Actually shrimp flavored like chips and stuff. That's a thing. It's a thing in Asia. We, this is not the first time we've had it and it's not, bad crustaceans freak me out they have way too many legs also um they're basically sea spiders and none of those things works for me so i'm a solid no on all those things especially crabs because crabs walk sideways and the only people that do that are possessed in the movies and none of this is okay with me that is all okay wow wow that went that went in a weird place all right well i will angrily eat the ship shrimp chip for you so uh, there we go don't tell me all right <laughs> thinking of all those little legs it's creepy <laughs> well, let's move into our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, a segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, and into our hearts. So I've been using that Discord, Jonathan. I've been talking to the, the, the folk, the lovely, the lovely listeners, about what they've been doing. Ray has been playing board games with his family, including Camel Up, the family buster Monopoly, and uh, Star Wars Risk, which he legitimately lost to his 11-year-old. Huh? Good for them. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's been playing Battle for Hilt uh, 218 with his dad on Board Game Arena. Nice. I've heard actually really good things about that. Brendan, on the other hand, finished Betrayal Legacy with his family, which I am very jealous yeah, of. Yeah, I am I've, too. I really want to play that game. I, I do too. Um, and he's been playing Arkham Horror LCG with his wife, and the Circle Undone campaign has been their jam. I love Arkham Horror. I need to get back into that. Ditto. I need to play that too. And then Ray reports he also made a Hero Forge mini as a gift to his wife for her birthday, and he didn't send a picture because he painted it and he's waiting to give it to her. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's waiting to give Maybe it to her. Maybe it's in a box. Maybe it's in a box. Well, whatever, Ray. Give us a picture because I want to see it. And, uh, and then his older kids, they're slowly working their way through the MCU, and they're at Iron Man 2. And I don't know if they did that chronologically because at that point they would have seen Captain Marvel already or if they're going to wait for Captain Marvel between – the Avengers Endgame and, you know, those yeah. movies. Yeah, so. Star Trek and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's always a question of do you watch them in order of release or do you watch them in order of timeline? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. 
But anyway, Jonathan, what have you been doing? Because you have not updated your list, so I can't tell. Yeah, um, not a whole lot. It's the busy time at work, um, and we've had a lot of stuff going on on the weekends, so it's been a little nutty. We're making preparations for what the school year is going to look like, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and it's the, the busy time at work where we're kind of a little more focused than normal. So my days have been spilling over a bit more, but I've gotten a couple things in. Okay. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Oh, that's right. I am hosting. Tell you what, I, the thing that I have been doing very much the most of is reading and movies and TV. So dealer's choice. What do you want to talk about there? Uh, I mean, reading's easy for me. Okay, let's do reading first. I am in the last 50 pages of The Wise Men, which has taken me way too long to read. Uh, but it is an amazing book, and it's only getting more interesting as time goes on. So right now, um, it's the end of the Vietnam War, and they're trying to decide how to pull the United States out of it. It's been fascinating. This started in World War One, and now we're in, uh, you know, basically the end of the, well, no, the, the midsection of the Cold War. Nice. Interesting. Um, I, I also finished uh, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, which is amazing. Highly, highly recommended. Yeah, you were talking about that one last time. Any Anything to add to that now that you finished it? Or um, Honestly, it's it's a modern what must read. It makes you feel good. It teaches you a lot about another culture. And it also teaches you a lot about some of the problems that we have here in the United States. So I, I highly, highly suggest it. Nice, nice. I'll have to put that on my list. And part of what I'm doing at work is um, mapping processes, doing a lot of process mapping for existing processes. So I bought myself, I'm really into it, but I don't know how much other people will be. The Power of Business Process Improvement, second edition by Susan Page. It's for me and what I do, it's very, very interesting. uh, I've actually pulled a lot of really good ideas for it, uh, out of it. I would highly recommend it if you're in the process improvement game. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what kind of mileage other people that are not in that game might uh, get out of that. (laughs) All right. Jonathan, are you ready for my list? It's extensive. Hit it. It takes two to make it out of sight? Yes. My library reopened with Drive Up. Oh, I know. You've been sending me pictures. Oh, my God. I've I've missed my library. I've missed it so much. I thank them every time for for doing this for us. And and they're being very careful. I, I, I appreciate it. So here we go. I'm going to start with, uh, so last episode we talked about a comic book called The Sixth Gun, uh, kind of at the last minute. So I got the first volume of that, and I will say, it is, it's not my cup of tea. I'm not going to continue reading it. However, it was good. Like, I read it, and I'm like, this is a good comic, even though it's not a comic that I particularly enjoyed. Um, so if a sort of weird Wild West with, you know, demons and undead Confederate generals and uh, guns from hell sounds remotely interesting to you, I would highly suggest picking it up. You will probably get quite a kick out of it. And there are a lot of issues of it. So there's like six or seven or eight or nine trades. There's a lot of trades. There's a lot to go through if you feel the urge. Here, Here's the big one. Uh, Gareth Hines did a comic book adaptation of both the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I read them out of order because uh, I didn't know the, the Iliad existed. Uh, and I got the Odyssey first. So I've read that. You never I've heard of the, the Iliad? I didn't know he did a comic book version. Oh, ah, okay. I was, was going to say, this didn't sound like you. I was, I was, I was shocked. I didn't know the, co- the comic book. So, yes, I, I, I've had a lot of problems reading the Odyssey, partly because um, it's kind of a dense book and it's like literature. And I, I mean, when you're 
if you're reading in your spare time, sometimes going through dense books is hard because you want to read to relax, and that's not a relaxing book. You kind of have to like focus on it. Does well, that make sense? First of all, first of all, let's let's not call the Odyssey a book because it's not. It's an epic poem. Well, yeah. And this is exactly why I just said all that. Anyway, I got to say, the comic book adaptation was real good. And it surprised me how much of the story of the Odyssey I actually just knew that I just picked up via osmosis or reading about them in school or I don't know how. Um, but I didn't realize that the that the storytelling was so like out of order. Because I, I always sort of assumed it starts at Troy and just sort of ends with him getting back to uh, Ith- Ithaca. Ithaca, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it starts with his son and in the in the, the present, I guess, air quotes, and then him finding out what's been happening with his pop and, and hearing stories about him. And it's, it's a really interesting, like, framing device. And I really like the comic book version because um, he pulled from uh, – I was reading at the end of it. He, he pulled from a couple of different uh, translations of it. Basically, whatever he was depicting, he picked the one he liked the best. But any time he wrote words down, um, it, it was from, you know, the Odyssey and the Iliad. You know, like he – if anybody speaks, it's, tr- you know, at least translations of things that they said – Um, and so it's interesting because like in a lot of modern comic books, you know how you get like the square sort of narrator bubbles that pop up. Yeah. Um, they don't have those really in the Iliad, uh, that he used too much. He, there were, there were some passages where he he was able to do that, but, um, so he had to rely instead on just letting pictures tell the story because there's a lot of stuff where, you know, it's just talking about Odysseus doing crap. And instead of just having frames of him, like of a narrator saying, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. He just had to like visually show it. Oh, uh, that's cool. And but he, the guy did a really good job. Like like uh, uh, I was I was really impressed. It was it was quite a good comic book adaptation. And uh, how exact is it to the poem? Like, does it contain the entire poem? No, it does not contain the entire. So poem. it's like it's, it's like an abridged version of the poem. Yeah, yeah. Because he he doesn't go. It's just anytime there are words, the words are from the Iliad. You know, so the Iliad has one of my most favorite quotes of all time. Go on. Hateful to me is the gates of Hades is the man who hides one thing in his heart and speaks another. <laughs> that's a good. That's oh, a good man, that's got sizzle to it. That that is. Mm. Anyway, I would I would highly suggest it. And also he did something interesting artistically. Um, so whenever he depicts the gods, uh, he almost did it like the, the Hercules cartoon that Disney did, you know, where they all have colors associated with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when the gods turn human, instead of their outline being in black, the outline is in whatever color they are. So if like Athena is pretending to be an old man or just, you know, somebody interacting with Odysseus or whatever, um, their their pencil outline will be because Athena is a dark blue. Um, so instead of being having black drawn in she's drawn in dark blue with like normal coloring do you get what i mean yeah and and same thing with aphrodite aphrodite appears in the iliad at some point aphrodite's pink because you know whatever because she's the goddess of love and so yeah there's just this person who's outlined in you know pink instead of black and it's it's a really good visual way to let you know that like this is a god talking and the clever thing he did is the first time that happened he didn't call attention to it it took you it took me a while to realize well i like i know it's like why are they done a is is there a printing error and then I, i'm like no that this is on purpose and and you know and then it's like boom they turn into you know athena and it's like oh that's that's so good <laughs> i was rather impressed i gotta say it was it was a good adaptation i highly recommend it if uh 
All in general, actually, I think you would like it too. Like, like the visual storytelling was very, very good. There will be killing till the score is paid. <laughs> I don't think you understand how much I love Homer. Like, Homer and I, had I lived in ancient Greece, we would have been homies and I would have hung out with him. I think my favorite Homer quote of all time, though, is I didn't lie. I just created fiction with my mouth. <laughs> like, that's something I, could, I, I expect my children to say. Nice. And yes, and then speaking of Greek things, it took a long, long time because of COVID delays, but Mythic Odysseys of Theros came out, and I got my metal van cover cover with, uh, you know, with the, the Xanadu font, and it's so good, Jonathan. Nice. It's so, it's so pretty. So I'm so jealous of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I can't decide if I love it or think it's okay because it's, it's very specific. You know, because it's ob- you could port a lot of the stuff over to it into Greece. Like, like if you just wanted to make a Greece D and D game, you could just do it and just shave off or you know retitle everything. Okay, and I think it would work. But there's some mechanical choices. I can't decide if I I, I think they're good, but I don't know if that's the ki- type of Greek game I'd want to play. Like Greeks in general, they worshipped a lot of gods, but in this game, they say you know because you're a big damn hero. Uh, basically much like Odysseus you're going to get there's going to be a god that just likes you better and so you're going to kind of like be more focused on them and then they give you a mechanic called piety where as you raise your piety you um get stuff from your god you know like like powers and abilities and supernatural gifts and it's it's interesting um but I don't know if that's how I'd want to do it necessarily and it it's interesting coming out of wizards because there's a lot of things that pile on extra like powers and I haven't seen anybody like complain about it because it's not overpowered getting more stuff because as a D and D character, you only have so many actions. So if you have like, you know, a choice of like four things to do versus five things to do, you still only have, you can only do one of them and not all of them are perfect in every situation, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, I mean the storytelling's fun and the art's really, really good and it's, it's, it's a fun read. It's, it's, Theros is so not what they've been doing with D&D for a long time, so it's been it's it's been an interesting read. I've been enjoying it. And then also, lastly, based off of something I said last time, I uh, checked out The Gutter Thief by Gareth Hanrahan. Uh, and this is the one where uh, Robin Laws mentioned that they it was written in kind of a different voice for fantasy, and, it, and there was some pushback to it, and I was kind of curious. And I'm not that far into it, but it was interesting. The entire prologue chapter... It was written as if you, the reader, are a character because it's saying like you can see blah 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 you and it's it's relating to you. And then by the end of it, it's very clear that you are a building in a city that's conscious somehow, which is bizarre. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, but it, it it's it's very different for the way fantasy is written, uh, which was kind of it was kind of weird. It was an interesting stylistic choice, and I'm not sure it was different. I I didn't hate it. It was fun. It was an interesting read. I kind of want to keep reading it, which is rare. I very rarely like finish fiction books these days. So, uh, I, yeah, I've been trying to make more of a point to try to read some more stuff. And there you go. That's what I've been reading. Also, Harlem Unbound should be in soon. So I'm excited for that. So a lot of good stuff. Too much uh, good stuff. I'm really jealous of Harlem Unbound. I wish that I could get the time to play that. I would love to play that. So what about movies and TV, sir? Tell me what you've been watching. Had a date night with the wife the other night. Uh, the kids were staying at my sister's, so we watched Pulp Fiction. 
<laughs> nice. Um, a, it, I haven't watched it this year, and I try and watch it at least once a year. It's one of my most favorite movies. And B, I'm completely reminded about why it's one of mo- my most favorite movies, because the dialogue and the performances in that movie are nothing short of masterful. It's been a while since I've watched that. Is it creepily obvious that Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish in that? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of feet. A lot of feet. Yeah. Uma Thurman's feet specifically. Yes. Yes. Specifically. It's like her tootsies are his muse. Um, who's the lady who plays Harley? Is it Margot Robbie? Yeah, Margot Robbie. I think she played Sharon Tate in uh, yeah, the, the, the Hollywood one. Uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and her her feet are very, very prominent in a couple of scenes, and 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 kind of needlessly so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I I don't know if we mentioned this last time. Like, uh, I've been kind of like aware of the whole concept of the male gaze when it comes to cinema, and it it's sometimes it's kind of hard to see because a lot of things are just filmed with the male gaze. But like Quentin Tarantino's foot fetish, it makes it because I, I don't have a foot fetish, like the emphasis he places on feet really makes sort of the, the idea of the male gaze very clear. Cause it's like, <laughs> there's just points. It's like, why is there a foot in this shot? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. It's this not, is not adding to the story. <laughs> it's not hidden at all. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, I am not the fun police. Like, you know, all the more power to you for whatever kink you have and whatever gets you through your day. I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't judge. I don't judge. No, but once you start realizing just how many feet are in his movies, you can't stop seeing the damn things are <laughs> yes. everywhere. That, yes. That's that's the real problem there. It's just every time now, I turn that around, that makes me want to watch Reservoir Dogs again because there there are no lady feet. I think in that. So who are we going to see? No ladies feet in that. Are in that? Other than the hmm? the server in the in the right? cafe. That's it. That's the only so, female. So part. whose feet? Whose feet are we going to get? Like there has to be feet. I'm sure. I don't know. Now you got me curious. I'm going to go watch Reservoir Dogs again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm taking one for the team with walking, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, so that was that. Um, sat down with the oldest and watched Gladiator. Mm, nice. Another movie that I'd forgotten how absolutely masterful it was in every way, shape, and form. That movie holds up so damn well. Also from a visual effects standpoint, like it holds up like it's a modern movie. I uh, I did loss prevention at a Borders Books and Music a long time ago, and the soundtrack to that was our second most stolen CD in the store. Hey, you know what? And the first one? Thieves Have Culture too. Pirates of the Caribbean. First. Hans Zimmer. Who would have thought that he was leading the loss uh, prevention board there? By sheer numbers, like the band or the, the singular thing that got stolen the most was Fish Albums. By well, that far. doesn't surprise me at all. I'm just talking like singular items because people would steal the breath of fish. There's a lot of fish to steal, but yes, yes, single items. It was, it was, uh, it was Gladiator and the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack, which is weird. Like soundtracks, like you think it'd be like a rock or rap album or something, you know? But like, and and the Block of Orange was kind of in the hood, man. Like soundtracks, really? Okay, all right. I still whatever. can't believe that you worked there, and I w- I went in there all the time. Dude, we probably saw it. I, I, I can almost guarantee you. Like, it freaks me out how tiny this universe is sometimes. <laughs> no, no, no joke. No joke. So I had a friend in San Diego that I lost touch with at some point uh, when I moved out to Orange County and she moved to L.A. And then just randomly, I bump into somebody at a club in Vegas because I was in my early 20s. So going to Vegas on the weekends was a thing. Yeah, I miss going to Vegas. For, forgive me. Forgive me. 
boy. Uh, but anyway, I, I bump into somebody and I turn around and there she is. Of all people, of all places, of all the thousands of people in Vegas, of all the hell, the thousands of clubs in Vegas. We happened to be the same one, bumped into each other and, and reconnected. It was just it's surreal. That's happened to me at least four times in my life where where somebody that I've fallen out of touch with or that I had no idea I would know and I crossed paths at an earlier junction. Yeah, yeah. A, a good buddy of mine from junior high who went to a different high school. Uh, I didn't see him for years. And then I got a job uh, in the video game industry. Uh, and and who who was working there? Him. There you go. Yeah. Ran into my old buddy after like 10, 15 years. You know? That's it's crazy. That, that, he ended up living with me for a while. There you go. Uh, yeah. So the world is sometimes a large place, but sometimes it's a lot smaller than we ever give it credit for. Well, you know, if, if you're friends with somebody, it probably means that your interests probably aligned and that never sort of goes away. So, you know, it's like um, it's like me and my wife. We, we work together for quite a while. And, and even now, because we're together a lot, like like she and I will have r- random thoughts like like full on. Like I'll be thinking of something and um, like I'll, I'll you know, I'll be on the, the can or whatever and I'll be like, oh, we need to totally get like blah from Costco because I'm going to go to Costco today. I'm like, I should write that down. And then I'm coming out of the bathroom and then she's like, I was just thinking you should get the you should get the thing you just thought of. And I'm like, get out of my head, woman. Nice. <laughs> nice. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just like if you think the same, like, yeah, your your path may spider, but it, it'll focus on similar, you know, things. <laughs> anyway, that's all esoteric and weird. Did you watch anything else? Uh, what else did I watch? Um, I watched Macbeth. With Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Oh, interesting. Uh, my absolute most favorite Macbeth on film yet. It is it is jaw-dropping. I mean, in every way, shape, and form. I I was blown away. I, I've seen a lot of good Shakespeare in my day, but I've not seen perfect Shakespeare, and that is perfect. That is not perfect Shakespeare, my friend. And uh, we've been over this before. I disagree. It was Macbeth. So good. Macbeth would be perfect if it had giant Gundam robots. And when they he puts on his armor at the end with that line of help me into my armor, they help him into a giant Gundam robot and they fight. And you call it Macbeth. That would be perfect. <laughs> Just saying. I mean, I'm not going to lie that I wouldn't watch the <laughs> out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would watch the Holy living shit out of that. <laughs> oh, God. I will give that one. To, uh, cre- credit me with story by internet and, and let me come to the set and like get me on IMDb. But I, I will I will otherwise let that one go for free. <laughs> Macbeth. I'm just saying. <laughs> so what I want to know is how are you going to work in the witches? What do the witches do? They're obviously space aliens, Jonathan. Oh, obviously. I'm oh, sorry. I, the the swamp I they live in is another planet. I mean, come on. That writes itself. <laughs> and how do you explain the dialogue? Or are you going to modernize it? No, no. You just do the, you do the Shakespeare. If Shakespeare is truly universal and transcends time, you can put it in a sci-fi context with giant Gundam robots, and it should just still work. <laughs> And you know the crazy part is I don't I'm not seeing how it wouldn't. It, right? Right? I'm telling you. Telling you. I almost wrote that script. I almost I almost wrote that. I, I was but really There's nothing to write script wise. All you're doing is setting the scene. 
you, you got to like instead of stage directions or whatever, you got to put in like, you know, planet blah, blah, blah and what you see, you know, and then and yes, I, I almost I almost sat there. I, I got so far as I bought a copy of Macbeth and I started annotating it with st- ideas, but I, that's as far. I as would I write that with that. you. I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Macbeth just saying that that's the perfect Shakespeare. That's the Shakespeare we need right now. <laughs> Giant Gundam robots. Anyway. Anyway, yes, yes. Credit Robert Lundgren. Uh, let me come visit the set, and I don't know. Take a take a producer credit. Get me get me into like the guild, and then I I will call that. I will waive every, all of my other fees. I guess you got to put me up in a. a I mean, you got to put me up in a hotel and p- feed me because it's Hollywood. I mean, you got to do that at a minimum. But I'm just saying, I, I don't want any other money. That could be my payment. So so what's happening when he says, "Oh, full of scorpions is my mind." I mean, like, is is he getting like tenderized by an alien? No, 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 no. That that's just that's just lovely flowing language, you know. I'm, I have scorpions in my mind. He's he's obviously feeling angst. It, it's it, it doesn't have to be literally what's going on. I'm just saying it should take place in like a Dune future, and when they put on armor, it should be they should fight in giant Gundam robots at the end of the third act. I mean, come on. <laughs> Are they going to recite the the Shakespeare lines in classic anime fashion, where there's a couple of words spoken and then you scream. You know what? That is, that is up to the actors and their performance, my friend. I mean, it, filmmaking is a collaborative process. <laughs> it's whatever it's, it's whatever you're feeling your space Macbeth characters are doing. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I want this to happen now. I know. Right. I dude, I came up with that. I came up with that so long ago. I think I cut it. I think I, I've, I've been holding on to this idea for years, but I, I just, I just can't, I can't contain it any farther. I think I cut it out of a previous episode because this is not the first time we've talked about this. So when I was in, when I was in high school, we watched the Jeremy Irons production of Macbeth, which is pretty good, but not, not, not up to par with what I just watched. Yeah. And it's performed at like the action, like at least a reproduction of the, the, the theater, you know, the, the globe, right. Is it called the globe theater? Is uh, that yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Um, but there's this part at the end where he says, help me with my armor. And they just shove like a pole down his back. So he doesn't get his like head chopped off or something. And I was thinking, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. He should have like actually put armor on right there. It'd be awesome. And then, and then some inspired part of my demented, you know, 16 year old brain. Cause I think this was a uh, sophomore uh, language arts. I was watching this in my brain was like, no, he should have climbed inside a goddamn giant robot and just fought like, 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 a, you know, like a Robotech and just went at it. Like and the whole third action just being Robotech fighters at this point, and I was like, yes, yeah, yes. That's actually one of my favorite <laughs> exchanges in the in the the play too. It's it's a good exchange, and, and it I'll was like laughably from bad. My bones, my flesh be hacked. Give me my armor, right? And that's a great line. But then they shove a pole down his back, and it was so bad. Like it was so like what? And I was like, man, he should have just climbed into a giant robot right then. I was like, that's the best idea ever. And I've been holding on to it since I was 16. Since I was 16 years See, old. See, that, that works for the anime thing, too. Because he, he growls the first half. I'll fight till from my bones my flesh be hacked. And then he looks over. And then there's the extreme close-up on the face with the anime lines in the background. Give me my armor. <laughs> and then he climbs into a giant Gundam. And he's talking on the radio for the rest of it. It's perfect. It works. I'm telling you, man. If Shakespeare's truly universal, you should be able to put it in space with giant robots and it'll work. I am 100% invested in this idea and I would like to get a co-writing credit with you and do this. (laughs) 
be. Uh, I'll see. I'll see. I'll see what we can do. I'll see what we can do. <laughs> of course, it's going to have to be called Macbeth. No, no, it's it's no, it's Mech M E C H. I know. I'm just kidding. Beth. I'm just kidding. No, it's all the Macbeth in space. Yeah. In space. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, anyway, yes. Yes, I've held on to that for far too long. I mean, I'm down 100%. I'm with you on this. All right. All right. All right. Is that all your movie? <laughs> no. Your... Okay, go on. Go on. We're, we're way off topic here. I started watching this kooky show on Netflix called October Faction. Okay. It's based on a comic, and it's got a weird tone. I haven't finished the season yet. I guess it's not getting renewed either, so I don't have a, a season two to look forward to. But I don't know how I feel about it yet. I, I just... I just want to report that I've watched the first part of it and I'm, I'm planning on finishing the season and it's, it's kooky. I don't know how else to put it other than it's kooky. And they're already not canceling it or they're already not following it. Yeah. Up. They're it's not following sad. it up. And I can see why, like if you don't get past the first episode, then you're, you're missing out on, on what the show has to offer. But the first episode is a little rough. Man, Netflix needs to have more faith in its stuff because, you know, sometimes it takes a couple seasons for a show to come together. And, and this whole this in Hollywood in general right now, this fascination with not letting things find their their zone and yeah, it has that, to, like, come together perfectly at the get go. And, and here's the thing. That's what you, they used to be really, really good at. And that's what network TV had lost. Right. And um, now it seems that Netflix has caused a bad case, caught, caught a bad case of that. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I also watched, what was it? Uh, I watched, um, Patriot Day on, on Netflix. That's okay. the one about the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Man, when you get older and you have kids, movies like that mess you up, man. Yeah. Like, I was tearing up through half the movie. And, I mean, it's, it's excellently put together and very well acted. I even like Mark Wahlberg in it. Mostly because he wasn't talking to animals, but. <laughs> but um no it was just it was a really good movie and i i it really exceeded my expectations for what it was going to be uh i also didn't realize kevin bacon's in that oh nice and he was really good too very intense intense kevin bacon not regular slightly aloof kevin bacon okay so like hellfire club X-Men. no because that's when kevin bacon got a touch of walking that's walking <laughs> that's true that's true that's true. Well, I'll give him that. or bacon with a side of walking. Oh, bacon I like that. Walking. Bacon with a side of walking. That sounds like an episode. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. That <laughs> we might have just named the episode. But yeah, yeah, that's it. And then, of course, our Bond movie, which we'll be talking about soon. But that's it. Uh, yeah, I had to get ahead because I, I have a friend who's uh, he really wanted to watch the Timothy Dalton movies with, with I'm me. I'm excited but- about those. Yeah, he, he but he he had to quarantine himself because he's going to go visit his father who is uh, who is immune compromised. So he was going to be and then and he's going to be gone for like almost a month. So he he really wanted to watch that. I'm like, well, we'll watch the first one, and then by the time you get back, we should be for the, ready for the second one. So there's that. I'm a little ahead. I I apologize, but um, okay. So this is what I, I'm not going to talk about that because we're going to talk about that next episode. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to sandwich this. So the first thing I I joined the cultural zeitgeist and we watched Hamilton. Uh, on Disney Plus. Ordinarily, I'm not that into musicals, not a fan of the genre in general, for the most part. Every so often, though, a musical will tick my, tickle my fancy for some bizarre reason. And I'm pretty sure this one had everything to do with Weird Al's The Hamilton Polka, because like every time like a piece of The Hamilton Polka would happen, I would get really excited. 
and I, I would sing along and I'd feel good. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would like, like the, the running reminder of Weird Al helped a lot, but yeah, yeah. Learning about Alexander Hamilton and how he cheated on his wife and then wrote about it in a pamphlet to just tell everybody, uh, weird guy, weird guy. Yeah. As far as founding fathers go, he's a, he was a curiosity. All right, so here we are. We're in the middle of the sandwich, the juicy part, the part where I'm going to admit I watch things I'm maybe not proud of, but I'm going to say it anyway because it'll hopefully spur some conversation. So uh, we've been watching movies with the daughter, and we've been trying to figure out what to watch. And for whatever reason, we decided to watch The Twilight Saga. Oh, God. Chloe got into that, too. In the last three weeks, we have watched Twilight, Eclipse, New Moon, and we are working our uh, way through Breaking Dawn Part 1 right now. So... I got to say, overall, this experience has been exquisite. It's been so much fun because my daughter likes watching bad movies, so she can make fun of them while we're watching them. And she's a little overzealous. She she talks too much, and she's not that funny because it's just her, her pure, unfiltered brain rambling. You know, she doesn't learn how to hone it and say things, but, you know, uh, just listening to her just rant about how stupid people are and how this movie's terrible, it makes me happy watching it. I'm having a very good time. And every so often I get my MST3K style, like, zinger out, you know, where I'm watching something and I'm like, this, I, I like, something comes out that's really funny. And when my daughter, like, stops her monologue and, like, and, like, looks at me and just laughs hysterically, it makes me feel so good. So I gotta say, for that, and it's also led to really good conversations about, you know what, if you've got a boyfriend who is, you know, uh, well, straight up, like Twilight, it's like, there are so many red flags about Edward in that movie. Like, holy Christ. Like, that is like the textbook of, like, do not date guys like this. this oh, is, my God. These are yeah. red flags. Holy crap. I, I had that same conversation with Chloe after she read the first book. And I'm like, let's let's talk about stalkers, honey. <laughs> Yes. And let's talk about inappropriate things like, oh, say, sleeping outside of somebody's house because you want to watch them sleep. Yeah, well, because Edward doesn't sleep. So it's not creepy that he just hangs out outside her window no, and not watches at all. her sleep. No, not at all not creepy. At all. Not, at all. not at all creepy. Yeah, yeah. Also, like, you know, at the age of 18, deciding that you love somebody so much that, you know, life isn't worth living without them. Like, like the, seriously, the plot of the second one is, like, straight-up mental illness because, like, so Edward dumps her, Bella, in that one to go away because he doesn't want to hurt her because, oh, I'm so emo. I'm a vampire. Ugh. And she, like, has straight-up hallucinations about him. I'm like, I, I, we were talking about, like, uh, like Eowyn, that is straight-up mental illness. Like, that is something you need to go <laughs> talk to somebody about. Run away. If you Run so yeah. far away. Yeah, having having visions and 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 wanting to do extremely emotional, exciting things to receive visions of somebody, that is mental illness, honey. That is bad. If that starts happening to you, please talk to us about it. We will get you help. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So then, uh, Netflix, The Babysitters Club got remade on Netflix. Oh my god, my wife- she watched that too. <laughs> I think our so daughters my wife, are on the same. N- same no, this was my wife, sir. This was my wife. Oh. I found out. I found out. So this is what I found out. This is what I found out. I have a coworker that just watched the whole thing too. My my wife is a giant nerd, and at that age where I was, you know, like playing Dungeons and Dragons and doing, you know, and playing video games, she was reading Babysitters Club novels because she was talking about that like the way I talk about like Forgotten Realms fiction books. 
you know? And it was kind of interesting to watch, like, her just completely lose her mind about, like, storylines and stuff. It's like, oh, they did this really interestingly and blah, blah, blah. And honestly, like, uh, the show isn't half bad. I, I, you know, because I, I ended up watching a lot of it with her because she really wanted to watch it. I'm like, you know what? You watch my nonsense enough. Like, quid pro quo. Like, here we go. Quid pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> tell me about the screams and I'll tell you about the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> so there's a character named Richard Spear and he appeared in the novels and in the uh, and in the, the, the show, obviously. So in the novels, he is a walking bad stereotype. He is a overprotective father that dresses his daughter, forces his daughter to wear pigtails because he wants her to look a certain way and forces her to dress a certain way. You know, funny that you mention overprotective fathers just before I forget to mention it. Um, Chloe accused me of being the dad from that, those books. The Twilight books. <laughs> from the Twilight books. Oh my god, uh, you're being so whatever his name is. I'm like, Charlie. I don't know what that is, honey. Char- Charlie, yeah, you're being such a Charlie. Sure, I'm gonna. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I I don't know what's happening at any given time at this point in my life, Robert. Well, you should watch those movies. I'll watch them with you, man. I will make fun of those movies and make it entertaining. All right, we can like, do that after we finish. Um, Really? You'll, oh man! Well, we we have to get through the Star Trek ones after that first, but then we can go oh. to we can go to Twilight. We can put that on the list. I you know what? I'm down. Let's, I'm down. I'm, to watch. I'm totally down to get that on the rotation. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Okay, so so Richard Spear and the Babysitters Club, like it's kind of creepy. Like that whole stereotype of daughters or fathers protecting their daughters and infantilizing them. It's kind of creepy. And I got to say, the show did a really good job of, like, updating that and uncreepifying it. Because what they turned the character into was, A, he's very um, socially awkward, right? Yeah. What year were those books written? uh, God, like the 80s. Okay. So they they were relatively new. Because I I must have read a couple of them. Because I I remember hearing about the series in my youth. But I don't know that I know very much about it. You had a little sister. So, yeah. Yeah, you probably picked some up by osmosis. There was a TV show back then, too. So anyway, he's very socially awkward um, and he's very like uptight and socially awkward. And and there's some there's a really funny scene where like they're going to a wedding and he goes to ask his daughter, like what shirt he should wear. And he holds two shirts up and they look identical to like normal people. Yeah, but he's like being super serious about it. Um, and two, uh, they changed his daughter to being biracial. So his his wife, who died, um, is black. And the the thing with the hair is. Um, the wife taught the dad how to handle black hair, but only taught him how to do it with the one hairstyle before she died. And kind of sad. Just, yeah, it is kind of sad. But that—that's why I he mean, does not, that. Not in a, a bad way, just sad. Right, but but taking it because everybody was white in the original novels. But taking a, a creepy art character type of a dad who's infant, infantilizing his daughter and making her dress like a little girl, which is. Ugh, and doing it from this guy's socially awkward. He's kind of a little weird. And his his dead wife only taught him how to handle black hair this one way. And so he just kind of does it because he's, you know, either afraid. Well, he's kind of afraid to change because he's socially awkward. And it's because it's the thing his wife taught him to do. So it, like, comforts him. Like, it it made the character, like, he, he's not creepy. He, he's he's kind he's you kind of like start rooting for him as the, as the series progresses because he, you know, finding love and all that. Like it's, 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 it, I, I just, I was watching it. I was shocked. Like, I was like, this is such a good portrayal of, of a, of a dad believably 
hitting all these bad stereotypes, but doing it in a way that's not creepy. And then, you know, and then part of it is obviously he learns to grow out of his shell and blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't know. And then it's, it's, uh, he's played by Mark, uh, Mark Evan Jackson, who you will recognize if you look up that actor's name, he's a character actor and, and he, it, they just nailed the casting on that guy. Like Google that name right now. Mark, M-A-R-C. Mark Evan Jackson. Oh yeah. Like he's in everything. Uh, he plays, he, he's one of the demons in yeah, the good place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. what's his name? Kevin. Yeah. He plays Kevin. <laughs> and then yeah. he plays Kevin in Brooklyn Nine-Nine too. Why didn't that never click before? <laughs> so yeah no like oh my inspired God. B- i just realized captain holt hmm. is married to the demon kevin <laughs> it makes so much sense on so many different levels oh my god they, anyway as far as i'm concerned they now exist in the same universe job done there you go keep going anyway i, I just want to say the babysitter's club not not an awful thing to watch if, if you're forced to it I, I was surprised it actually had some good moments Ah, uh, you're going to make me be a good dad and say, why don't you show this to me, aren't you? <laughs> and then last but not least, I watched The 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 Thing. Uh, I talked about it a bit on the Discord. I watched Cats, the 2019. Oh, I thought you were going to say The Thing, the movie. I was going to be real proud yeah. of you. Like, it's never a bad no. day to watch The Thing, buddy. No, I, I watched Cats. Uh, I on heard purpose? it was a horror show. Yeah, it was. I I love bad movies, Jonathan. I, I know it was but, a horror show. But I heard this one just wraps around the dial all the way from good to bad again. It, it's a it's a strange film. Uh, honestly, my my thoughts on it are exactly the same. It's a Broadway production, and it's there are some strange strange choices in it. But like, it's a it's it's a Broadway show about humanoid or about people playing cats singing about cat stuff. Like I. I there was no point where I, I really... I can't remember. Is there a ballad about licking your own ass? No, they had to go out and remove all the buttholes. Don't you know about the butthole cut? <laughs> oh, that's right. They did, didn't they? <laughs> I just, no, I just uh, meant from a musical perspective, but now you made this oddly real and gross. <laughs> so thanks for that. What, what's, I think what's very off-putting with people about it, because it was certainly kind of weird watching <laughs> Virtual it. Virtual um, cat buttholes? No, no, they they removed all the cat buttholes, Jonathan. Um, There's so the another show title: Virtual Cat Buttholes. <laughs> when they we the way they did the co- singers this week, I, I I do. We're gonna have a lot of choices. So the way they, they did the cat <laughs> was they digitally put fur on them. But what it had the effect of is because the fur Nightmares? was short. Because I've seen the trailer, nightmares. No, it really makes all the cat actors oddly look like they're all naked doing stuff, and it's a little weird. You know, and and uh, uh, Idris Elba's in it as uh, Mr. Mistopheles, the cat, which uh, don't tell my wife that because then she'll want to watch it. So if she in the beginning, he wears like a coat and and, like a a pimpin hat. That's the same color as his fur, because like, uh, why not? Um, But then as the show progresses, at some point, he loses his coat and his hat and he's just walking around in his fur. And it's really like Idris Elba is just walking around kind of furry and naked. And it, it's a little weird. And of course, because they don't have any like genitals or anything, there's it's, there's just kind of this weird Barbie doll creepiness to the whole production. And, it, and it, yeah, yeah, I I would not recommend. However, we're watching it and and we're trying to figure out like because we're watching it, we're like, why did people like this show? Like, how did this get turned into a movie? And then I asked the question, can we watch the Broadway show everywhere anywhere? And of course, it wasn't streaming. But then I further asked the question, I wonder if it's at my library. And of course, it was. So <laughs> I am now I'm now on the queue to get cats the Broadway version 
that was recorded back in like 93. Uh, and I'm going to rent that probably next week from the library. And I will report back on, on if I can figure this. Cause I don't understand why people like this show so much. I don't get it. Like I, I just don't like I you're, but, and I will say this, Jonathan, I, I legitly fell in love with this movie watching it. Like, like honestly, I actually really enjoyed it because it is one of my favorite film genres, which is the polished turd. Cause there were so many people pouring so much of their soul and awesome and, and just trying to make this so good. And it's just so bad, Jonathan. Hmm. It's so nightmarishly bad. And people tried so hard to make it good. And I, I love movies like that. Those are my favorite films. Because it's like, how do you how do you not know while you're doing it? And and well, they nobody didn't. sets out to make a bad anything, right? A bad game, a bad movie, bad anything. But they obviously thought it was going to be great because they everybody was acting their hearts out, and the song it was it's so bizarre. And it's also kind of creepy because like there's a lot of cityscapes that they show, and if you look in the background, there's like this fully lit up like street in London at some point in the 30s, and there's no people walking around. I'm like, why are all these lights on if there's no people walking around? This is kind of creepy. Like, what kind of weird post apocalypse is this where there's dancing and singing cats and no people? And furthermore, the freakiest thing, the freakiest thing, the thing that like broke me the most, it wasn't the dancing and singing naked people cats. That's fine. Like that was just what the show was about. I get it. It was, there's a part in the movie where they show mice and mice are also played by people. And then later in that same scene, there are cockroaches and cockroaches are also played by people. And then one of the cats, the rebel Wilson cat eats several cockroaches on camera, but she's eating little teeny tiny people. It's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. That, yeah. That just sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. I would still highly recommend it is, it is, it is an experience, and I guarantee you it is an experience unlike anything you will ever get before or after. I, so. I, I hate to say it. I think this might be an experience I can miss. You shouldn't, man. You shouldn't. Speaking of things you shouldn't miss, the last thing I watched, because it's been a busy couple weeks for me, uh, I started watching the new season of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. <laughs> it Ooh. is so good. I, I want to so watch it, but I good. Th- like. don't we get enough of that with all the like conspiracy theories on Facebook? No, 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 no. Okay, so I, I used to love watching Unsolved Mysteries. Who did I, I loved it. So this one, Robert okay. Stack so, at his finest. I right. So take out Robert. St- there is no narrator. There is no Robert Stack. Oh, that which I know kind of blows. Uh, it's no. It's okay. It's okay. It's a very different show, but it's it's good. So basically, every episode, which is about an hour long, is really drilling down and focusing on one case. So it's not like four cases over the the so hour. Each episode is just an unsolved mystery. And yes, an unsolved mystery. So the the mysteries is all six episodes, I guess. And um, there's no narrator. They let they. It's like a very modern documentary, you know, where they they interview people, but there's no like interviewee asking questions. It's just people telling stories, and it's just captivating. It's so good, and and the cases that they're you know they're they're you're fo- oh, it's just so good, Jonathan. It's 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 so intriguing, and. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I haven't gotten to their because every when when the X Files got big and everything, they would do every so often, you know, the the ghost story or whatever. It's like, did, was this person abducted by aliens? Uh, I haven't gotten to that. I know there's an episode like that in this season, and I can't wait. I want to see an hour of pure unf- unfettered just just people losing their minds. But like the 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 one that really stuck with me was there was a story about this kid who was 16 and his mom like owned a uh, uh she was a a, a hairdresser uh, I, I can't think of the word right now. And she owned her own business. Like she had her own salon. And 
she went to work one day and she was really nervous. Like her couple of the people, her customers reported she was kind of just, she seemed off. And then she had uh, a client left. And then 13 minutes later, somebody tried to call her and nobody picked up, which was unusual because she was supposed to be there. And in that 13 minutes, she disappeared and they found her, they later found her body. But like what happened during that 13 minutes and, and that's, and the episode's called 13 minutes and it's, it's just really good. And, and the, 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 the kid who's now like an adult, cause this happened like 10, 20 years ago, um, you know, him telling his side of the story and about how much he hates his stepdad and then the stepdad's in it and he's a little creepy. And I'm like, why did he agree to be interviewed? Because he doesn't come off the best, <laughs> whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's just a very engaging show. It's a good, ep- it, yeah, I would highly recommend so I've seen the highs of Hamilton and Unsolved Mysteries and the lows of the Twilight Saga and Cats and then the weird middle-of-the-road uh, wholesome goodness of the Babysitter's Club. It has been quite a three weeks, Jonathan. Yeah. Quite a three weeks. Now, I was going to ask you, um, have you called the police to report the car accident that you were just involved in? <laughs> because I can't think of any other way to describe what you just said to me. <laughs> I love bad film, Jonathan. I will watch. I'm you. You told me about one that Remo Williams movie. Oh my god! It's at I my library. So bad now. I'm getting it next week. Oh, I'll <laughs> rent it. Okay. Because because you know okay. Guy Hamilton directed it. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'm getting it from my library, baby. Oh, I'm all over that. Man, I really want to watch that now. All right, we're gonna watch it. <laughs> Tell me when you watch it. Okay. All right, so video games, uh, still playing Breath of the Wild. I love it. And I rented a game today called Golf Story, and it's amazing. And I've only played 10 minutes of it, but I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, You basically take the old NES game Golf. Do you remember the old NES game Golf? I do. Okay. Um, and then attached to that, like kind of an RPG story about this kid who whose dad taught him how to play golf, and he's trying to become a professional golfer. Of course he is. And so like you you, you play golf games, but then there's like you roam around a map RPG style and like talk to people and buy stuff from like the club and, or, you know, from the golf shop, it's a weird game, but it's surprisingly good. It's on the switch and I think it's on PC too. So I would, I would highly recommend it. I'm 10 minutes in and I'm already like madly in love with it. And I'm like, I'm thinking about buying it. How's the golf? Uh, it's like the NES game golf. So your mileage will vary on that. If you like that old game, it's, it's that it's, it's a very similar system to that. All right. Any video games, anything else out of you? Yeah. Um, so you know, when Last of Us came out, it came out at a weird time. It came out right at the end of a console cycle, and I, I, I missed it. I never had a chance to sit down and play it. In fact, I bought a copy and played through the first 10 minutes and remarked about how great it was, and then I really meant to go back, and it never happened, you know? So recently, um, Last of Us 2 came out, and um, I ended up with a copy of it, and I really wanted to play it. So I said, oh, I'll just this is a perfect example for or perfect excuse for me to go back and play Last of Us. So I did, and wow. Wow. That is the best game of that generation. Yeah, they remastered on the PS4. I've been I played the remastered. over getting it. Yeah, I keep thinking they're going to give it to us for free on the PlayStation <laughs> Network. So I'm like, I'm not going to buy this. They're going to give it to us free. Surely they'll give it to us free at some point. But it hasn't happened yet. Um, it's really good. It's really, really good. It is spectacular in every way, shape, and form. I mean, nothing tells a better story. Nothing. So, yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, so I finished Last of Us. Um, I also picked up Ghost of Tsushima. Hey, you've been telling me about that. Oh. I've been watching people play that. It just reminds me of Breath of the Wild, but with it is. Samurai. It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's Zelda with an adult M-rated storyline. That's cool, though. 
I like games like that. I'm totally down with it. It's so good. I'm playing the hell out of Zelda right now. (laughs) Um, And then the other one that I got was, uh, that I got into was, I I got back into Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I'd played it a little bit, and then I put it down, and I saw the trailer for Valkyrie, and that got me excited. And I said, hey, I haven't finished uh, Odyssey, so I'll go back and play some Odyssey. And yeah, now I'm just sucked completely into it. I can't stop. Nice. So yeah, those are the big ones. Cool. Anything else you've been doing? No, that's Board gaming? No, sadly, uh, I played, uh, I, I taught a couple of buddies, um, foundations of Rome and that is it. That is it for the last three weeks. It's been unbelievably difficult to sync up with friends. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I've been, I've been dealing with some of that myself. I've also been kind of blue from the, the COVID stuff. So I've been, I've been trying to force myself to do more. Yeah. I've got more. a little bit of that too, where it's just kind of, I'm just ready for a change in anything anything yeah like i'm just at home all the time it's getting old yeah all right so one last thing um have you heard about the new sensation from the tiktok kids called random nautico no i don't know what that is okay well i happened to stumble across it because uh my kid left her youtube playing or she searched a youtuber she liked and it kind of went down a weird chain and i got to random nautico stuff so what it is, is, it pretends it's all mysterious and whatnot, but what it is, is you program a couple of variables into it, um, and then what it does, it's supposed to use like quantum mechanics or some nonsense to find you a random point on a map uh, anywhere between 1,000 and 10,000 meters near you. And while it is calculating that point on a map, you are supposed to think about what you want to find on your journey there, because it's it's kind of like a reason to go look at stuff i guess and oh i know how i stumbled into it it was because uh uh it's because of nukes top five which is a, a dumb youtube channel i watch of people of ghost videos that are all recorded on potatoes because you know we live in the future and we have awesome cameras on our phone why wouldn't you record a ghost with an awesome camera on your phone no obviously you need to use the most low res piece of sh- crap thing ever because that's the only way you can pull off ghost effects because it's not real but anyway he he did random nautica stuff and and uh yeah it is uh, I, me and my wife have done it a couple times because we're trying to get out of the house more because we're getting a little stir crazy and going outside and walking. You don't really need to wear your masks as long as you stay away from people, yep. which isn't hard on the sidewalks. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it has not worked for me, but uh, I I've really enjoyed kind of like reading all the creepy pastas and stuff based off of it because the the thing on Duke's top five they they did is instead of like looking for it, it warns you straight up do not do not load your random Nautica adventure with 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 negative stuff because otherwise you're gonna have a bad time you got to think of like positive stuff right and like on the reddit and whatnot people are like i was thinking of beautiful and i found this beautiful scene yeah but like <laughs> the, the video where people were looking for stuff it was so creepy like <laughs> these two girls were like we want to find evil and they're sort of just driving around and they're trying to look for evil or whatever and then they get to the point where it says for them to stop at random Naga, and there's this crazy homeless lady like sitting there staring at him like muttering to herself they're like she's a I'm like, oh, that's that's a coincidence, but whatever. It's funny anyway. Um, but yes, if it's kind of like Pokemon Go, it just like if you want to go out for a walk and you don't really have a goal in mind, it's like, well, you might as well let a app arbitrarily choose one for you because why the hell not? So there you go. I, I will recommend for that alone because <laughs> we we have 
gone exploring in our neighborhood and I would not say we have found anything remotely interesting, but we have gone to places we've never gone before and it was kind of worth it for that. Although, no, I lied. Somebody has a really cool fence around their garden that's made out. I should send you a picture of it. I will do it next time we walk by it. But I found this cool fence that's like an art piece where they have, it's, it's a whole bunch of like scrap metal that's arranged into a fence and then they paint it over it and it looks really cool. It's got a lot of weird stuff. Send pics. There you go. I will send you some pics. But yes, that is the only thing I found on my Randomatic Adventure. And and I was looking for something cool and interesting like that. And I walked by it, so I guess it worked. I don't know. Whatever. But yes, the cool fence is the only thing I have found. But still, I, I wouldn't have seen that cool fence if it wasn't for a dumb app that gave me a random point on a map near my house. So there you go. And if you want to watch creepy stuff and, and the kids scare themselves silly, which is actually kind of entertaining on YouTube. Yeah, yeah Randomnautica videos are kind of funny like that they're 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 very entertaining not not all entertaining but some of them are entertaining there's a real creepy one where this guy <laughs> he he got um he 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 was looking for something uh you know like evil or whatever and he got this point like really close to his house and so he goes out to his house and there's just this like rusting car in the forest out by his house and he's like how the hell did this car get out of here and it had it obviously had been there forever because like trees had grown up around it you know so it was like a 70s car um and then of course like as he's exploring it there's this creepy little girl's voice that starts talking to him and, I, and it, it, it was good it was good I, I when that happened i got i got the shiver i'm like oh that was that was good you have to send something to me i don't think i've ever seen anything like that okay i will i will send you some random nautica videos probably while i'm editing this portion of the podcast in a couple of days so like what thursday friday you'll you'll i'll, I'll just randomly start talking to you about this. sounds good to me <laughs> There you go. That's been my three weeks, man. It's been it's been a time. Yeah, it has been a time. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the off the shelf segment, which, of course, means it's break time. What? What? So we will return after a short break. And when we do, it will be time for our wisdom of crowd segment. So we will see you in a moment. Do you have a tabletop board game, miniature game or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. We talk about all the things that you should know about. So first up, Wizards of the Coast has suspended organized play until further notice. And this includes, you know, I mean, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Magic, magic, everything. They have suspended it pretty much until September. And then starting in September, they will just say if there is going to be organized play in stores from then on. And they will just make an announcement at the beginning of every month. And there you go. COVID time, man. Like, they, Wizards isn't fooling around anymore. Have you heard of Unmatched? No. So Unmatched was released by Restoration Games and Mondo Games uh, last year. And basically, it is based off of an old Star Wars card game. And they um, revamped the engine, did what Restoration does best, and they started releasing things like there's a Bruce Lee pack, and there's a, um, there's a Bigfoot pack, and a, a bunch of other stuff. So they have a new segment coming out. And it is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer set with Buffy, Spike, Willow, and Angel. Well, I'll tell you what, since we're talking about Restoration Games, I will tell you guys about this one. Restoration Games recently filed a trademark for, quote, HeroQuest Legacies. Oh, man, it's that's... Mm, yeah. I saw that. You beat me to it. I forgot to throw it in the news. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's the good stuff right there, Robert. Obviously, it's just a trademark uh, for a board game. I mean, that's pretty much all it says. But I looked into it, and yeah, the the Dark Tower seems to be winding down. Like they're they're gonna do their I don't know how they're gonna do their their beta test road trip this year, but that's kind of what their plan is at the moment. They're they're just kind of finishing the tooling on their components, and then they're ready to go to press. So yeah, uh, is this gonna be their next Kickstarter? Will it already be running by the time this episode comes back? Who knows? Who knows? But yes, Hero Quest. The classic Parker Brothers slash GW game might be coming back with the legacy treatment. That is nuts. Well, uh, do you remember the the crossover that happened with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the other uh, popular comic at the time, uh, Yojimbo? Yes. All right. Well, Simon is diving into the Usagi Yojimbo universe and bringing Usagi Yojimbo Murakami Genosuke and Kitsune into Arcadia Quest. Hmm, okay. So Murakami, of course, is the rhino bounty hunter. Kitsune is the fox thief. And Yojimbo is none other than the uh, bunny swordsman. Nice. And so they've got their little minis planned out for them. And come August 14th, with an expected shipping day of February 20, uh, 2021, you'll be able to get them. Okay, this one is going out to my good friend, friend of the show, Ray Greenlee. Tales of Zadia RPG has been announced by the fine, fine people at Fandom, who also own D&D Beyond and the various fandom wikis. Uh, A few years ago, I don't know if we covered this on the podcast or a few months ago, they bought the Cortex uh, RPG system, which was owned by, I believe, Cam Banks. Uh, It originally was made for Margaret Weiss Productions for their Serenity, Smallville, Leverage, Marvel Superheroes RPGs. And they bought it up to make original properties with. And this is the first one. Uh, and it is based basically on the Dragon Prince Netflix series. And so, yeah, a big company with a big media presence, uh, you know, with getting a big license to make a big game uh, out of nowhere. Good. That's exciting. Interesting times. So, yeah, are we going to see a stream? Are we going to what? Are, who knows? But since they own D&D Beyond, I'm sure we are going to see that move into that space as well. So there you go, Ray. Something to play with your kiddos. If they like that show. Well, I sadly am closing with some sad news. Aw. Remember back in 2018 when trade shows still happened and um, I brought back the Transformers trading card game from Gen Con? Yes, yes. I heard this news too. It's very sad. It is sad. Because sales are not meeting expectations and a large portion of that is being handed to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Transformers trading card game is... On its final release, we are getting the Titan Masters attack release, and that will be it. After that, it will be time to transform and roll out for the very last time. Aww. I mean, no game's ever truly dead, but let's face it, CCGs live off of their releases, and with no more releases, I think it's fair to say this one's coming to a close. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree. Guardian Games announced a, a fire sale of all their Transformers stuff. They, uh... They were advertising it pretty heavily on the Facebook. I thought of you, but then I'm like, I'm Guardian Games is very far away. I'm not going to get there. <laughs> um, and it's very far away for me, too. Yeah. I'm not getting there either. Yeah, true, true. All right. Well, <clears throat> the last story of the night, a new entry in the long running series of board games designed to teach D&D to kids. Wizards of the Coast has announced Dungeons and Dragons Adventure Begins. 
Uh, it is a cooperative board game for ages 10 and up. Players will choose their characters and their journey as they travel through the lands of Neverwinter. They'll work together to battle monsters and defeat the boss monster that is terrorizing the realm. The role of the dungeon master passes from player to player each turn, so everybody's part of the storytelling. Uh, includes minis, boss tiles, 20-sided dice, ten- D10s that are the DM's dice, a damage clip, gold, decks, cards, so much more. Um, it should be coming out soon. So, yes, we will see. I, I'm kind of curious about this one because uh, back in the day, TSR had a fascination with board games that would teach kids how to play D&D. That's where we got Dragon Strike from, if you remember Dragon Strike, and it's lovely video. Such a great You know, I had another news story that I did not include because I thought that you had it, but it turns out you don't. Oh, my. So I guess that wasn't our final story. No, and I'm genuinely surprised. Okay, go. I've got some great news for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. You you didn't hear about any announcements from Wizards of the Coast on Monday? No, no, I was camping. Oh, or well, was, no, I was out at the beach. There's going to be a special Dungeons and Dragons box set. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. The hear Curse about of Strahd revamped, which is an amazing title. You know, I the pun just I I just got that. Oh God, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just got the, revamped. Yeah, you suck. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I see what I did there. That I saw what you pun. did. I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's was a pun. good. It was that's a pun. Good. It was a pun. Yeah, that's good. Quite a pun. I'm a punny guy. Oh God, yeah, it just keeps hitting. So the deluxe box is packed with a bunch of content. You get um, illustrated and foil stamped Taroka fortune telling deck. You get the Curse of Strahd revamped module. You get now, a DM screen. much less racist towards traveling people. With, with <laughs> That's the, right. Now, with 1,000% less racism. Yes, yes, because the Vistini were described as drunken louts in the original version of the adventure, which is uh, considering they're, you know, supposed to be basically... It includes all the latest errata, the revised depiction of the Vistani, as you were saying, mm-hmm. and it's all brought together in this really cool-looking um, coffin-shaped box. And how is that not a song parody from that Nirvana song? I don't know. I don't either. Mm-hmm. This looks really cool. And it's coming out just in time for Halloween. Yep, I'm yep, super yep. stoked. Yeah. I actually have the the, taro, the Troka deck. So, and I have Curse of Strahd. So I was like, do I need this in my life again? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, my, my friend, I do. I do. It also I has a screen in it, I think, too. A DM screen. It does. Yeah. I said, yeah, GM screen. I, okay. I wasn't paying attention because I was just looking at the coffin shaped box. Well, there you go. 12 postcards as well. Yeah, yeah, they are postcards. They look like postcards. Welcome to Barovia! Specifically, they are so that you can invite your friends to your game. Oh, that's cute. That's yeah. cute. I like yeah. it. It's got a cover sheet with Strahd von Zarovic's image on one side and Strahd's monster stat block on the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This looks awesome. This looks ridiculously good. Ninety nine, ninety nine. I own like three versions of that adventure. Ne- well, still, have never played it. I own the original. If you want the racism free one? This is the one to get. There you go, racism free D anD. d That's a thought. Hey, you know we've come a long way. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I could just get that paragraph out of my uh, my morning Canaan's guide to monsters or whatever it is, uh, that'd be great too. But we're not going there. Not right now. That's a terrible paragraph, by the way. Go go read the orc entry on it. There, there's a uh, paragraph. Yeah, there. it's pretty rough. Um, well, that is it for me and the news. Ditto. All right. Well, I guess then it is time 
for us to move on to our No Time to Bond segment. Part 15 of our 28-part series where we're watching all of the 007 movies and a couple of extras, which I'm, I'm rallying hard for Remo Williams to be an official entry since it is a Guy Hamilton movie. <laughs> in order of release date. So, we are now in part 14 of View to a Kill. With a budget of $30 million, it made $154 million, which is a significant downgrade from the last few Bond movies. Uh, it was directed once again by John Glenn, and it is the first movie where Michael G. Wilson, Cubby's stepson, was listed as a producer. He started in the le- legal team with Live and Let Die, and he worked his way up the ranks. He wrote uh, he wrote this movie, uh, and he wrote a, 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 quite a few of them. Um, he was the executive producer, and yes, Michael G. Wilson is on the credits to Bond movies to this day. He uh, Yeah, so there you go. Um, and then fun, fun game, starting with the next movie, start looking for the name Barbara Bracoli as she works her way up the ranks, uh, to become the producer of the modern Bond films as well. This was also the last movie that Lois Maxwell starred in the original uh, money penny. And she up to this point was the only actor to be in every single Bond movie from Dr. No till now, which is kind of sad. Also, obviously the last Roger Moore movie. And you know what? I think he went out on a bang. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I actually like this one a lot more this than it was great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Yeah, and you know what? Part of the reason I liked it, uh, apparently, this is Roger Moore's. It's his least favorite Bond movie, which is sad because I I think it's one of his better <laughs> ones because it's the best one he made. Yeah, he felt it was too violent, which I liked. I liked Bond like shooting at more people because you know he actually shot at people because <laughs> there's a lot of movies where he doesn't do that at all. His other reasons he didn't like the movie, uh, he realized that he was older than Bond girl Tanya Roberts's mother, and he decided Oops. and he decided his age had become a little too creepy. Which we talked about that last time that you know one of the reasons Never Say Never Again worked was because they didn't try to obfuscate Bond's age. You know they just sort of embraced that he's kind of older, and they made the plot relevant to that, which worked oddly. But yeah, ignoring c- continuing to ignore it is kind of weird, and it it got even weirder in this movie. Also, he didn't get along with Grace Jones and uh, Antonia Roberts. So, yeah, he didn't have a fun time filming this one, which is a shame, I guess. Let's start with the bad so we can go out on good notes. Was there a lot of bad in this one? I can't even remember. No. No. There, there was no creepy Bond moments. Yeah. There was no rapey Bond moments. Except when he, uh, he gets with, uh, <laughs> when he gets with uh, Grace Jones' character. That was a little odd <laughs> when it happened. <laughs> It wasn't rapey, yes. though, but he he, was, he did break into it, her room and was naked in her bed. That's a little, uh, yeah, it's a little rapey. It's a little rapey. Well, specifically, he was trying to, 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 to get out of a jam. And, I mean, I guess it wasn't rapey because of the, the context. Because for him, it was just a, a, a way out of a, a bad situation. It wasn't necessarily something he wanted to do. Uh, it, was still, it was still a weird moment. It was, yeah. And at any point, I mean, let's face it, she could have torn him in half. Yes. Yes. Grace Jones is like, a scary woman. Torn him in half. Yes. Grace Jones was on the juice in that movie. Yes. Not not the actress, the character. Yes. Was it Mayday? Mayday. Mayday. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. The character's yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. I love Grace Jones. She's amazing. You know this this movie has a great pre credit scene. Mm-hmm. It's got a fantastic theme song. Mm-hmm. Duran Duran. You can't get any more eighties than that. That's no, like peak eighties. No. Yeah, well, I mean, we're in the middle of the 80s. So yeah, 85. Sense. There was only one weird thing in the in the intro. Uh, isn't this the one where he does the, the, they just jump into the Beach Boys song? 
Yes. Oh Which god. Which was totally off-putting. Yeah, yeah, and, he's doing a com- ski and then he like invents snowboarding and they they play a yeah. surf song while after he invents snowboarding. Yes. I actually had completely forgotten that about that. That part was Yeah, that was the only part that really rung out uh, in, uh, at, at me as this oh, ouch. And it's a pity too because the whole the whole pre-credit sequence is actually quite good. It's shot well. It's got great angles, fantastic stunts. I mean, oh my god, the set on the that chopper uh, pilot. That guy is, mm, it makes me nervous how close he's flying to stuff. It was kind of funny. So I was watching this one with Awen and she, and every time Christopher Walken was on, I'd make her shut up. And, uh, and she's like, why do you like this guy so much? He's not that funny. And I'm like, Walken's not funny, honey. He's just really intense. There's just something about him. And she's like, I don't see it, dad. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's like a fine wine. Maybe you have to like grow into it and acquire the Walken taste. She's young. She's young. She'll come around. I, I tried to show her some of his SNL skits, you know, like uh, the, the the classic, the, the cowbell with the blue oyster cult. Uh, yeah, but I don't think she's old enough to get why that's funny. Yeah, yeah no, it didn't really work. Really explore the space. Explore the space. <laughs> you know, I was kind of impressed with Walken in this one. He was not very Walken-y for the vast majority of the movie. He played... He uses Walken as a tool yes. in this one. Yes. It, it, it's He doesn't just go full walking instead it's it's a textured nuance of walking where you see hints of it kind of just bursting at the edges of the of each scene with these little giggles and these little like you know facial expressions that he makes and then at the end he goes full walking and it's impactful yeah yeah there's a reason he goes full walking he's he's i think i'm gonna go ahead and say it He's my favorite Bond villain so far. Yeah, yeah. And not just because he's walking, but because he's genuinely a psychopath and he's scary. And and because of the way Walken acts in the in the role, he does feel like he could snap at any second. Like he's he's always a hair's breadth away from just stabbing you in the face. You know, the thing that surprised me most about the movie was how hands on Walken was. Because a lot of the Bond villains, they just sort of sit in their office. Oh no, man. He, like, grabs that Uzi and goes to town. Well, and also, like, when Bond's trying to get, like, break into the San Francisco Public Records office to get some, like, you know. Oh, yeah. No, he's there. He's there. He shows up. And I'm like, why would he show up? Like, he's a billionaire. Like, if he got caught, that could be bad. You know? Yeah, but it's the it's the same thing. It's like the, the Thomas Crown affair, right? Why is, why is a millionaire st- stealing million-dollar paintings that he could just buy? It, it, part of it's the thrill for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I it was good. It was good. And that, that car that car chase scene in Paris where the car gets torn in half, that was fun. Was oh man, no, that's classic European stunt team. Like that is that that is so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was a good flick all around. Like I I, I don't I don't have much bad to say about it. It was enjoyable throughout. I, I don't think it was like great, like because uh, I, I watched this a long time ago because I got the movie kind of uh, yeah yeah a while ago. But yeah, like that, nothing's jumping out at me is particularly awesome, but nothing also jumped out at me is particularly bad. It was just an, an enjoyable ride throughout. Solid solid action movie. Yeah, it, it's actually got a decent pr- uh, post credit sequence too. Well, not post credits, but a, a, a post uh, crescendo sequence where it's not just cut off right away. Yeah, yeah, and there's, you know, legitimate, like, you know, who's trying to, you know, he does some detective work, like, it overall, no, like... He does yeah. a lot of detective yeah. work. He's actually detecting. Yeah. And he, and he uses a, a, a pseudonym. Yeah, two. He does yeah. it twice. It's amazing. It's he just doesn't introduce detection. himself as, like, I'm a spy. Hello, I'm a spy. And and I have to say, especially with the, the weird pacing of the last couple of movies, 
this is this one shines as being expertly edited because it is very well constructed in that there's 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 natural dips in the in the speed of the film but they match the story beats and they never feel slow they just feel like a natural ebb and flow so okay well here's a question we asked last time do you think the franchise learned anything from never say never again yes 1000 percent. it definitely felt like it it, uh, pieces of never say never again i will say john glenn upped his director game in this one like i I think he watched never say never again and was like damn damn i need to yeah i got out bonded yeah yeah so there's there's definitely a lot more well constructed shot. They're not they're not Irving Kirshner level of constructed shots, but he he tried. I'll give him credit. Like yeah, there were there were definitely a lot of more interesting shots in this one. Storyline wise, though, I don't know if if this one, yeah, because they didn't embrace Bond's age. You know, they just kind of like went along. You know, but yeah, yeah, the director, the, at least the director, at least John Glenn decided to up his game, which is good. And he and having already watched the next movie in the series, he continues along that front, which is also a good sign. So. Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched View to a Kill, so I need to watch it again. You mean uh, The Living Daylights? Or, I mean, Living Daylights, excuse me. Well, you're going to get your opportunity. <laughs> like I said, I can't I can't think of anything that's really glaringly bad about it. And I can't think of anything. I, it, it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. I, I think I've seen better Bond movies, but... Um, I mean, it's no Ace is Iron Eagle 3, but... <laughs> I was going to say uh, Casino oh, Royale. Casino Royale oh. is a really high point. But anyway... We're, we're not there yet, so let's not talk no, about No, 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 because, you know, John Glenn went on to uh, to direct Ace's Iron Eagle 3. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did the, the 280, or he did all three, no, all four, all five of the movies in the, the 80s were all John Glenn, right? I don't know. No, it was just Iron Eagle 3. He didn't do any of the others. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the, all five of the Bond movies in the 80s were John Glenn. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that until just now. And he did Moonraker before, right? Wasn't that him too? Yeah, Moonraker in 79. That was his first one. No, oh, no, 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 no. He didn't direct that one. He, he was the editor. He was the that. editor. He moved up to directing 81's For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, so he did all the 80's movies, which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's kind of sad. He uh, he directed that Christopher Columbus movie, and then he just retired. I guess he did a movie called Point Man in 2001, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was a surprisingly good movie. Uh, not just a good Bond movie, but just a good movie. And it's it's really well constructed. I was very pleasantly surprised. I, I fully walked into this one thinking it was going to be just like some of the other Bond movies where it just doesn't age well. This one aged quite well. Yeah, I'd agree. Even the plot of, of like trying to control Silicon Valley and, and all the, the production of microchips works. Yeah. If you take into the into account the historical context of that's where all the stuff was being made back then. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. And even not like, you know, sometimes movies just do that because it's hand wavy and easy to do. And they got to film in San Francisco on the Golden Gate Bridge. So yeah, fun that, fact. The entire sequence actually works. Yeah. The fun fact, you know, you want to know why they got to film everywhere, including like City Hall and on the Golden Gate Bridge? Because uh, Diane Feinstein, then mayor of San Francisco, really liked Roger Moore. <laughs> and so when they said, Hey, we, we want to film a Roger Moore bond movie here. She's like, okay, I will rubber stamp anything you put in front of me. And well, they hey, did. that worked out for, yes. Well, that worked out for the movie too. Cause I can't think of very many movies. I got the film on the spires of the golden gate bridge, you know, no, and it really, it really gives that entire sequence, uh, a lot of, um, gravitas. Yeah. A- actually being there, you know? Yeah. And, and seeing the stunt people on it. 
some of those shots are just downright upsetting from a, a visual standpoint because you're like, wow, they're really high. Like, <laughs> I'm a little, kind of a little nervous for that guy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Also gets the uh, also gets the award for best use of a dirigible in uh, in a movie. <laughs> like that. The way they hide the blimp in the 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 shack, yeah, the construction shack, and the way they pop it out, and it's like, oh, surprise! I gotta go because I'm a supervillain. That, that worked. That totally worked for me. So I gotta I, I gotta say, based off of watching this movie, I have gone to my local library and I rented 1989's Communion with Christopher Walken because uh, oh wow oh wow yeah yeah I wanted to see more Walken and I was like, what's a movie I haven't seen a Walken in a really long time? And I remember watching that movie on HBO one night, probably in the early 90s, very early 90s, pre-grunge early 90s. And uh, I was terrified because I wholeheartedly believed in space aliens at that point in my life. And and I, I found that movie just just terrifying. But I'm kind of curious how it will age because I, that was pre-X-Files, you know? Like, there's been a lot of media that's done that genre, air quotes, since then better. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering how Communion's going to age, but... I would be down for that. And now I want to watch Brain Scan. Was he in that? Yeah, remember that's the the, the big movie where uh, Natalie Wood died in the middle of filming, and he was on the boat. Oh, that! Oh, that's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, and, and the big question of uh, Robert Urich and who did it? Did someone air quotes do it? Speaking of which, you need to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they kind of reference that, and they're coming full circle all the way around. They're not Brain Scan. Brain Scan was the Edward Norton one, right? I don't remember. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about brain... Something brain. All right, I'm looking through his filmography. Uh, Brainstorm. Brainstorm. Okay. Brainstorm is the walking movie. Brain Scan is the Edward Furlong movie. My mistake. <laughs> I'll, I'll forgive you this brainy time. brainy movies. Oh, this looks like a crappy sci-fi movie. What, Brain Scan? Have you never seen Brain Scan? That is something... Hold on. Let's see if my library has it. I saw Brain Scan in the theaters. <laughs> Your father was terrible. Dude, it was nineteen ninety-four. I was already like sixteen. I, I took myself. His, the movie Brainstorm oh yeah, you're talking about sorry, Brainstorm came out in eighty three. I remember seeing Brainstorm on TV. I remember having uh, recording it on VHS. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man, brain scan is so bad too. You're gonna love it. Oh. <gasps> it's at the library. Oh, oh, that's the good stuff. Nope, it's a library rental. What brain scan? Yeah, or brainstorm. Brainstorm. Brainstorm with walking. Yeah, yeah. No, that's on hold. Boom, that's in my queue. Uh, oh my god, god there's a right. line for that movie, dude. For brain scan or brainstorm? For brainstorm. I'm so confused right now. For brainstorm, the walking movie. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Who cares about Edward Furlong? No, brainstorm. I, I am currently. I'm currently third in line for that movie. That's how popular <laughs> brainstorm is. For some. I mean, I'm excited for you. First of all, because that movie's great. <laughs> I really enjoy that movie. Oh my god! I'm I'm oh. I have it on Blu-ray. I'll watch it when you get it. I, I'm I'm number two in line. Sorry, I'm number two in line. So yes, there's somebody somebody currently has it out, and then somebody's like, I need to watch that movie right now. I will wait for that, and then I am now the the next person after that. Oh my lord! All right, Jonathan. Well, we we are talking about not view to a kill, so I think I think we're done. <laughs> 
Well, what's uh, what's next? Next, we, we we leave Mr. Moore behind and we jump into the Dalton era. Oh, you know what's something we asked when uh, when we did the last Connery. So, so do you have any feelings about about Roger Moore in general? Bond time. So, I think definitely a classier Bond than Moore, or than uh, than Connery. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. And that said, like the majority of the movies with a couple of standouts end up feeling eerily like the Connery movies for the wrong reasons. Like they forgot to evolve with the times, but there are a couple of standouts that feel different. And, and I enjoyed a lot more than any of the Connery movies. And I think those standouts for me are live and let die and view to a kill. I would put your, uh, for your eyes only for your, and eyes, for your only. eyes only for your eyes only and yeah. view to a kill were my two favorites of his, you know, ultimately, I mean, I like Roger Moore because he's silly, but his, his, sense of humor infected the movies a little too much in several occasions, like the beach boy song, you know, like that's not something Timothy Dalton would have let happen in under his watch or Sean Connery. And, but see, that's the thing, like with Dalton, like things turn a lot darker right away. Right, right, right. But my point is like Roger Moore, his, his sense of humor, I don't think was a good match for the bond movies because there's, a, there's, I think a moment in every single one of his movies where they do a sound effect or just something. It just takes you out of the film and reminds you that you're watching a cartoon or something, you know, or that it's a, he's a clown or this is a joke. And, you know, it's kind of hard to take these movies seriously when they're trying to be serious movies, when they're not doing it themselves. And I think that's ultimately a problem with his tenure because it happened more often than not. I think live and let die is the only one where something like that didn't happen, which is a shame. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Because there was I like think, the Tarzan think, call in one movie and the Beach Boys oh song God. and the and slide whistle. The slide whistle on the, the car flip, which is arguably an awesome stunt until you add the slide whistle. Yeah, seriously. Like they legitimately 360 barrel rolled that car from bridge to bridge. Like what a freaking amazing stunt. And then they ruin it with that stupid slide whistle. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think ultimately that's Roger Moore's legacy and problem with the Bond series. Like he... You know, if they made those movies now with that guy, I, I think they could have like worked in his his brand a little bit better. But yeah, they just didn't quite know what to do. I, I, maybe that's the problem with the Bond movies in general at the time. They just didn't quite know, know what to do with them. You know, they always, I, I complained a lot in the early ones that they always felt unsure of themselves. That we got several films that were like Live and Let Die was like a black exploitation film and a Bond film, and then we got you know Moonraker, which was a sci fi film and a Bond movie, and then we also got. Um, the there's that one that takes place in Asia, which was like a lot of Kung Fu movies that were popular in the early seventies. You know, there's a lot of that. And it was a bond movie. It was just like, come on guys, like just make a damn bond movie. And they did like for your eyes only. And this one were really good in that regard. But yeah, I agree. I think those are definitely the highlights of the, of the, the more era. Yeah. Well, next we go into the Dalton era. Yeah. <laughs> Before we take a turn into the absurd <laughs> with the, the, the late Pierce Brosnan era. <laughs> oh, God, looking at you, windsurfing kite surfer. Oh, man. I kind of I, I kind of can't wait to watch the dumpster fire that is Die Another Day. Oh, God, it's so glorious. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about the future again. So, yeah. Goodbye, Roger Moore. It was fun. Well, that, of course, means there's only one segment left now, and that is A Year in the Life. It is, of course, now a time for our Year in Life segment. That is where we look at what we deep dove a year ago. And we have a bunch of time to talk about it. So what was a year ago? Oh, man. Forgot my dice. In the notes. Episode 68, something huggable about you. Uh, where you were talking, I listened to this episode, actually. You were talking about being on a plane ride coming back from a convention, and you always get sat next to people who uh, decide to tell you their life story because there's something huggable about you. 
<laughs> it's so true, though. Um, we played, uh, or you played, because I, I haven't played it, uh, Star Wars The Outer Rim. Oh, which is still so good, but it's screaming for an expansion. I can't believe there hasn't been one yet. I thought they were working on one. I, I don't know. Did I dream that? Sometimes I dream we record episodes of the podcast, which is a little weird because it gets things get fuzzy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. I thought they were two, but who knows? I know. I know it needs one. Yeah, as of a few months ago, somebody who was at Gen Con mentioned that they said they had didn't have anything on the docket yet for an expansion. So I guess that's the answer to that. Well, that sucks. Although they said that they <clears throat> they definitely could put one in. It's well, I mean, it's designed for one. From the ground up, it's designed for one, and there's a big hole for one because, like the the basic game engine is fantastic. And there's so much fantastic about that game, but unfortunately, you you start repeating content in your first play, and that that that's where things fall apart for me. Well, there you go. Have you taken it off the shelf in the last year? Yeah, I played it a couple times with the kids, and it really holds up. Um, and and it's it's a great game because you're you're telling a story uh, with the game. That that's one of the things that's the most fun about it. Yeah, you think they'd be on that? Like they could easily add in a Mandalorian expansion for the show, and that'd be great. That would have been perfect for it. That would have been absolutely perfect for it. But yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. It's a pity because that it's it's a really great game, like one of their best Star Wars games. Well, there you go, Jonathan. Well, there you go. That brings us to the end of our year in the life segment. I now I'm looking at the Star Wars Outer Rim box and want to get it off the shelf. So that's a good sign. Report back next episode. That brings us to the end of the year in life segment, which means it is, of course, time for another quick break. And when we return, we will be deep diving the thousand year old vampire. We love getting feedback. So please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Ah. Uh... I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive of the episode. And in this episode, we are deep diving thousand-year-old vampire. So, Jonathan, this is like my game. Like, so I, I think we need to like reverse our roles here, which means you need to do in the style of NPR or interesting narration, the, the copy that I've written. I think that's your bag now. A creaking hunter among dust and cobwebs. You prowl the night places, seeking the souls on which you feed. You have done this since time immemorial, or so you believe. You have no memories of living as a man-thing like those you catch and eat. But human traces linger. Your fingers trace clever arabesques in the dirt of your grave place. And with the flourishes come whispered songs and a language of... In a language you've forgotten. Far away, in a museum, hangs your portrait in oil by a master five hundred years dead. 
You might have been lovers, but the diary you kept then is long lost. In Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, you chronicle the many centuries of a vampire's existence, beginning with the loss of mortality and ending with inevitable destruction. Prompt-driven play and simple resource tracking provides easy rules for exploring your character's human failings, villainous acts, and surprising victories. Expect gut-churning decisions and and irreconcilable acts. Play can happen entirely within the character sheet or can become a journaling activity. Both work equally well. So, Robert, how's it play? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. That's why we're here, right? Okay, so I I talked about this on the last episode that I got the the PDF of it. How you play is... You you play with with the book. I, I'm so disappointed, in you Jonathan. I gave this to you, and you haven't had time. I've I've read about. I know you've had you've had you've had three weeks. You've had a three weeks. I know. I'm just disappointed. Let me rephrase. I'm not. I should not say I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed you have not had the time because it is quite good. I, I'm about forty pages into it. I think you don't need to read all the writing prompts, man. You just need to read the rules and go. Well, I can't help it. I like I I like. Like, I'm really into it. I think the art style in the book is amazing, too. Okay, well, don't read all the re- re- the prompts, man. Part of it's the discovery. But anyway, so how you play is uh, basically you make a character. And this is a very narrative story-driven game. Uh, so, you, you know, you write down your name and, you know, where you were born or whatever and what year you were born in or whatever you want to do because it doesn't really matter. Your character has three skills and there is no skill list. It is just three things that your person knows how to do. And they can be anything. It doesn't matter. For my character, because I'm obsessed with Spain, I decided to make a vampire who was uh, a fisher fisherman born on the coast of Spain. And going into the uh, thousand-year-old vampire part of it, I decided that I was born in uh, 1020. So a thousand years ago to the exactly, right? Boom. Bob's your uncle. So my three skills were like, you know, just fishing stuff. Like I knew how to navigate and, you know, go fishing. I, I, and I actually read about fishing that they did at the time. It was fascinating. It's amazing how much that's changed, huh? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, there's this cool article about what they do at the Rock of Gibraltar where they get a bunch of fishing shit because like a, a lot of fish swim through that channel and you can yep. fish really well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> that's part of why I want to go diving there when I go to. Uh... So my, my buddy and I are planning a trip to Morocco. Oh, nice. And we're going to um, do horseback down the Moroccan coast. But um, we're timing it so that we're there for two weeks and uh, we're both planning on. Um, going from Morocco across the strait into uh, Spain and then diving Gibraltar because that's supposed to be some of the best diving in the world. There you go. So yeah, my fishing, my skills were fishing. Um, and then I picked uh, the hurdy gurdy cause we got on that last episode <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, my, my other skill was does that work uh, from a time period thing. I guess it does. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it does. does. Yeah, it does. And then, um, and then my third skill was, uh, doing vampire shape-shifting stuff because it was a skill I decided my guy had. And also you can lose skills in the game. So if I lost the skill to do that, I wouldn't be able to turn into a human anymore, which I thought would be interesting. You have three resources. And again, these can be anything, but these would be stuff that you can use. So for my fishermen, I had my own boat. Um, I had a, a secret cave that I knew about, uh, that was on the coast. And um, what was my third one? I don't even remember this. Oh, I had a hurdy-gurdy because I, 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 one of my skills was playing crap on the hurdy-gurdy. So I figured I had a cool hurdy-gurdy. There you go. And then you uh, make three mortals that you know. And so for mine, there was a, a lady that I was courting, but her parents married her off to somebody else, um, my father and my grandma. Basically, the way the game operates is you have a series of memories. Um, you can have 
so you have you have uh, five memories uh, that your your vampire character can remember at any given time, and each memory is filled with three experiences, and these experiences should be tied thematically together. Uh, so at the beginning of the game, you make one memory saying who you are. So that's one of your. It's one of your five. You make three more memories that are based off of merging a resource and a person you know. And then you make a final fifth memory about becoming a vampire and who did it to you. And then when you do that, you also make uh, a vampire who made you that you know, because they're, they're a character that can come back. And then you also take a mark. And a vampiric mark is just something that signifies that you are not human. So when I played the game, I went like really off the rails. Uh, and I made my vampire like a like a kind of like a shark fish person. It, it worked. It, it was fine. Uh, but so my mark was I had like black eyes, like the eyes of the vampires in uh, Thirty Eight Days of Night. You know that were kind of like shark size, um, and I couldn't hide them. Like I, I couldn't shapeshift out of them. I, I always had them, so I had to like kind of like keep my eyes away from people because they were just black, black like the coldness of my heart. And then uh, Gina played this, and she decided she ended up playing somebody from, uh, I think, Morocco, actually, come to, come to think of it. <laughs> full circle. First awesome. full circle. So her character you know, was African, so she decided that instead of becoming like pale, uh, her skin actually kind of turned almost like a, a bluish color when she became a vampire, so she'd kind of have to hide that. So at night, it was pretty, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of hide it, but during the day, if she got spotted, it would be pretty obvious that her skin was of an unnatural hue. And then that's it. Like you make up your character with all those things and then you go to writing prompt one in the book and then you complete it and then you roll a D10 and a D6 and you subtract the D6 from the D10 and then that's how many spots forward or back you go. And then you. Yeah, the prompts are really interesting. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about them is every writing prompt. So prompt one, there's there's three actually. And so if you ever go back to the first prompt. Um, you're supposed to do like the next one down in sequence. And then if you finish all three of them, then you just, you know, you move on to the next one. It's, it's pretty simple. And yeah, I, I, it, it sounds stupid, but that's all you do. You make up this character and you just start writing stuff. And, and you're like, is this a role-playing game? Like, is this fun? Um, and how is this like anything remotely interesting? And it is so, it's so weird and fascinating to actually play it out. Like I, I started doing it. And it was much like my experience with me and Gina with Gumshoe One to One. Like I, on, on paper, it sounded kind of dumb to me, but I was kind of excited about it, and I did it. And it was so, so weird actually doing it because it was so engaging. Because when I would write stuff down, they suggest that you only write like a sentence down, and I, I would write what I needed down. But generally, I tried to keep things to two or three sentences. And I, I've got this crazy story. Um, I started in the year ten twenty. It's currently like fourteen ninety nine. I think where I'm at in my timeline. And yeah, you just do, you just do these prompts and you make decisions and the basic mechanics are some of the prompts will just say that you lose a resource. And if you lose a resource, then you just strike it out of your character sheet. Um, sometimes prompts will give you an extra resource. So you just write it in, you know, based off of the story that you're writing. Like my guy ended up having a cult devoted to him. So I got a lot of like stuff based off of this cult. I, my guy is like flush with resources. I think I have like seven or eight right now. And then you also have skills. And uh, you can lose skills, which, again, you just check them out. And that's something that your vampire just doesn't know how to do anymore. But sometimes a prompt will say check a skill. And basically, if you check a skill, you, you, you've expended it. You've used it up. And um, your, your character still has it, but you can't use it to complete a prompt anymore. And if you ever get to a turn where you are asked to expend a – if 
you're asked to expend a skill and you don't have one, you have to expend a resource and vice versa. If you don't have any resources and you get asked to get rid of one, then you have to check a skill. And if you don't have any skills to check or resources to cross out, you're dead. That's it. Game over. Some of the prompts later in the book just have the, the game end anyway. Um, but yeah, that's it. Like that, that is the game in a nutshell. And it's like, you know, it's a role-playing game that you play with yourself. You're like the GM and the audience all in one go. And it's, it's, it's really weird <laughs> and it's really fun because I've gone down some weird Wikipedia tangents. Like I, like I mentioned last time I learned about the hurdy gurdy, which was not a thing I knew about. I learned about the, the way they fish off of Spain back in the, 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 the you know, the thousands <laughs> where you get a lot of fishing boats in the nets and you do the fish through Gibraltar. Like I read all about that and it was fascinating. And yeah, I've been reading just all about just stuff at the time. You know, because I'm like, oh, my God, it's the year 1460. Like, what's going on? Because I got a writing prompt where, you know, like the local stuff that's going on is causing me problems. And I'm like, well, hell, what's what's going on during the 15th century in, you know, Spain? Right. Like, I didn't know. So, you know, I had to look up and then sort of like weave actual history into it. And, yeah, you go on fun Wikipedia spirals. And, yeah, it's just it's 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 kind of fun and it's a good time. So let's talk about the book itself. Um, Well, do do you have any questions that I did I? No, you've explained it very – I mean, like, that that's the beauty of the system is how s- simple it is and how straightforward it is. Is I mean, yes, it's an RPG, but at the same time, it also feels like a writing exercise. Yeah, yeah. But it's a really good one. No, like I'm not those... saying that as a negative thing at all. Like, yeah. I take this from somebody who who took a lot of creative writing courses over the years. I I find that to be extremely satisfying, and I'm, I'm makes me that much more interested to play it. Yeah. Well, I really wanted your opinion on it because um... – you like playing board games by yourself, and I, I'm I'm really curious how how that translates into this. Yeah, I mean, I could see myself getting really into this actually. <laughs> but I mean, just like looking at the rule book, I mean, for me, the, the the little that I've read of it, I'm right at the prompts basically is where where I didn't get a chance to go into it. Um, but the system itself is very eloquently laid out and very straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the book is it's it's long too. It's like two hundred and sixty odd pages, I think, and, and gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. So the book itself, I I really want to get a physical copy of this. It looks like something you would find in an old used bookstore or in the depths of a library, you know. And and apparently, if you get it in real life, like it looks like like the picture doesn't do it justice, you know. Um, but it's this weird book. It's got like these pictures in it and uh you know there are vampires and disturbing things and sometimes stuff's taped into it you know like yeah, somebody's it, it been looks like uh, almost like if van helsing had scotch tape <laughs> and, and, yes. was, and was trying to track dracula yes yes so yeah the book itself is very evocative of what it's trying to do because it almost seems like a found artifact uh that a vampire wrote which is fascinating the first like yeah you said like 20 40 pages are just the rules and explaining all of the the steps that you take in the game. Uh, the text is not big. It's not a lot of words. It's it's pretty easy to read. Yeah, and then the, the good middle portion of the book is just 150 pages of prompts. And then there's like alternate prompts after that and like the appendix. And then there's like a safety system uh, that you, you can use if you think things are getting a little intense, which is like this flower. And it's basically, it's a flower and it's got three rings. It's got the green ring, the yellow ring, and the red ring. And uh, if your writing prompts are getting you, you're, you're supposed to mark where you are on the, that flower. So green, you're good. Yellow, you're getting kind of heebie-jeebie. And red, it's getting a little too intense. And, you know, it kind of just says, like, you know, if you find yourself getting in the red a lot and this game's kind of disturbing you because you're, you're going into, uh, into dark places in your head, you can just stop. It's fine. 
that's why the flower is here. If it's too red, man, why don't you, why don't you just pack it up and just say, you know, I'm done. I don't want to do this right now or come back to it later or don't come back to it at all. But, you know, I like that they put that in. And, uh, yeah. And then after that, it's just, you know, Kickstarter backers and the whole shebang. It's, it's, it's a lovely little book and it does what it needs to do. And it's, it's all the product of one dude. You know that? Yeah. I'm looking at that now. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you are interested in getting a copy of this, um, there are there is a pre-order going on for another print run of the physical. Oh, cool. That wasn't uh, there when I checked. For September, October time frame. So that'll be the second printing, and they are running... So, yeah, it's U.S. $45 uh, for, a, for a print copy of the book. And that's full color, 188 pages. And uh, they're also selling it on Indie Press Revolution, and it's out there too. So yeah, they're working on the second printing. But yeah, no, the the book itself is beautiful. It's laid out well. It's written very. Everything I've read in the book is great. I haven't seen anything that's troubling. No. Well, <laughs> I've seen plenty of troubling things when you're actually playing it. Oh my god. No, but no, no. I'm talking about. But rules wise, yes. <laughs> or something like that. Oh my god, this game gets dark, Jonathan. Holy crap. <laughs> Did you find anything off in the execution? Yeah, yeah. So the game is so narrative and it's a little little wibbly wobbly on, on how you want to do things. It didn't do a great job of breaking down some of the systems, I think, in a way that at least helped me. Now, given uh I just sort of like powered through it and came up with my own method of doing things. But like one of the things I didn't get when I was playing it was, um, or I, I did get it first. It took me a while to realize that not all the memories necessarily have to be in chronological order, you know? Um, so like I said, you have, you have five memories and then you have experiences within those memories, right? If I, I do not have to put in memory one, the first thing doesn't have to be three turns in order. Like I can, I can slot things into stuff, wherever I want. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? <laughs> I just realized this. What happens if you fill up all your memories and you have to make a new one? What happens in the game is you forget it. You, you can move that entire memory into a journal that your character has, which is what they talk about in the copy. Um, but that journal is a physical book that you have. And it was sad, Jonathan. It was sad. So when I was playing, I filled up my first book of my memories and I, I shoved most of my human life in there. Like anything pertaining to my human life ended up in this book, right? And that kind of makes sense, given context. Yeah, but then the next prompt I got was uh, somebody betrays me and my diary gets lost. Oh, that is depressing. Right, yeah, but but it's something that, that your character kind of has to grapple with because like literally my character has no comprehension of where what they were and where they grew up. Like, uh, I think I still have memories pertaining to my grandmother, uh, for reasons, but that's it. Like, like my, my character's history is just gone and it is, is gone, gone. Like he doesn't have it because when you move memories into your, your journal, like your character could recognize that they wrote this diary. Like they, they know it's theirs, So they trust whatever's in there as something that happened to them, but they, that's not something that they can recall at all. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to build your character around it. So, you know, my character, for all intents and purposes, doesn't remember anything really about being uh, a human being anymore. They've always been this kind of weird shark eating vampire thing. My I went way off the rails with my vampire because I kind of hate vampires, but I, I a, a man eating shark beast vampire thing kind of amused me. So that's what I ended up going with. It started with the shark's eyes because I was thinking about the black eyes from 30 Days a Night. And then I heard the guy from Jaws like, then you see those eyes, those dead eyes. They roll on back. And I had that whole speech from Jaws play out in my head. <laughs> and then that got me on the shark thing. And I and yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, a large portion of that was uh, ad libbed. Ad libbed. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's pretty in- intense in and of itself. This isn't Thousand Year Old Jaws, so which I would play the living daylights out of too. Just, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I I would say that like some of the because it's so narrative and it's so wibbly wobbly. It kind of leaves it up to you about how you're going to organize your thoughts and stuff. I don't know if they communicated it right because I had I had some problems getting started and figuring out what my system was going to be because I sort of had to come up with that on my own. But then again, maybe that's the point. You're supposed to come up with your own system and how it works for you. Uh, I don't know. But that, that would be my only thing. Like, yeah, there's just uh, – Gina had some problems too. Uh, I forget what her problem was. She told me and she told me to remember for the podcast and said, should I send it to you? I'm like, oh, I'll totally remember. Now, just I, tell I me. I know that but. this is primarily a one-player game, but there's two-player rules in it, too, that I'm yes. kind of really curious about trying with you. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, the, the two-player variant, which is in the back of the book, is um, we still play the game, but we basically take turns. Um, and we take turns that you and my vampires would know each other, and so we're corresponding with each other. So the writing prompt isn't me, you know, what happened to me, because I, I wrote all my experiences as diary entries essentially but i would write them instead as like letters to you so you know like if my diary got destroyed i'd be like oh oh you know my vampire friend jonathan or whatever your character's name is one of my people betrayed me and destroyed my memory and and one of my books is gone i don't even it's so sad or whatever you know love robert (laughs) (laughs) p.s you know send sourdough bread i guess i don't know but a whole lot more flourish right Yes, yeah. But also, if there's anything else that's off in the execution, is it's really it's really easy to think in this day and age that if you're playing games or whatever, you should be like doing things with people or like being productive. And this game feels so self indulgent when you're actually doing it because it's it's for you, you know. It's this it's this weird little piece of art or story or whatever it is you're creating that you're not going to share it with people. It's not going to mean anything to anybody else. You know, it's just, it's just, it's all for you. And it feels so, it's so weird doing it. Cause it's like, um, yeah, it's just so self-indulgent, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain. I'm okay with it though. Yeah. Yeah. There's something beautiful in that. Like you're, you're just doing something for you. You know, it's okay. It's okay. But I would say that's something a lot, it, maybe it's not off in the execution, but something you kind of have to come o- get over to, to take enjoyment of it, but you should, you should. Is there anything else to discuss on it? I do not know if I'm doing this game justice, like talking about it. It's it's kind of it's kind of matrixy. You just have to sort of experience it for yourself. Uh, the PDF when I got it was twelve bucks on Drive Through RPG, and it's well worth that if writing an incredibly self indulgent sort of story about a thousand year old vampire sounds remotely interesting to you. It's just fun. You get to flex your creative muscles. You get to you know, and, and that's the thing too. Like, do you have to, you might be listening to this like, I don't want to go on Wikipedia spirals and, and Google spirals, like learning about actual history. It's like, then don't, you know, you're the audience. Yeah. What, that's the what, beauty of the whole thing. It's, it's going to be what you make of it. Right. Exactly. It, it is what it is. And if you don't want it to be historically accurate, then that's fine. You know, I, I, about the only thing you have to kind of like sign yourself up for is you're a vampire. It's a curse. It's ridiculously self-indulgent and you have to channel your inner emo, you know, your inner tortured soul. And if you could kind of like inhabit that space, it is, it, it's, it's a weird amount of fun just trying to craft this story that as it relates to writing prompts. And again, like, you know, I decided my guy was like a shark man and I literally eat people instead of sucking their blood, you know, because I kind of hate vampires, but the game still works. Like all the writing prompts and all that stuff, like 
it, I, I could still make it work. So it's a very narrative structure. You don't have to like, you know, feel like you're, you're constrained really. I mean, you, you gotta be some sort of monster that eats people and is generally sort of vampiric, but that's about it. I don't know. There you go. Thousand year old vampire from Tim Hutchings. Now, you know, what's not self-indulgent Robert. What? Apple reviews. <laughs> no, that is self-indulgent because we want people to review. I'm not us. writing them. That's true. But once again, you know, actually I haven't checked. That was something I meant to do today, but I, I was playing golf story and got really distracted. <laughs> you distracted? Surely not. No, generally, generally the day of recording, I'm I'm all about it. But I got Apple or I got Golf Story, and I I I, I was like, I need to, I need to, I need to do this. Unfortunately, no review to read. But if you leave us a five star review on iTunes specifically. Uh, I will read it out loud at this point. So as soon as we need to get five of them for them to start showing up. So go there and write a review about us and I will read what you say out loud. I don't care what it is. Five stars. I will read it out loud. Do it. People do it. Embarrass me, please. I will. I will. I will take it. Well, Robert, that of course brings us to our, the end of the episode, the end of episode 92. Once again, Join us on all of our digital domains. We love hearing from you, and we will interact with you. We promise. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. if it's just a diary entry in our thousand-year-old diary of all the terrible, terrible things that we've said. Or in About our the, case, the, the terrible jokes that we've made that have been edited out to make us sound halfway intelligent. Or the uh, the awful pain party that is our life. Yes. Oh, man, last week. Last week. Last week. <laughs> uh, I'm just channeling my vampire emo, man. But I'm sorry about your last week. <laughs> well robert any final thoughts yes so i went downstairs and i tried one of the shrimp chips that we got from costco and i gotta say not bad texture wise it reminded me of these old chips i used to get that they don't make them this way anymore called munchums munchos something like that they were in a red package they were really good and very airy but they don't make them that way anymore probably because they were just like mainlining trans fats if i remember correctly but nice and airy uh, garlic butter is good. I like garlic. So it was a good taste. It was a good taste when I bit it. Uh, the little off-putting part was like the blast of seafood aftertaste I got. It was yeah. a little unexpected. Don't know if I – don't know how I feel about that. But but overall, the, the chip experience up front was quite good. It might be worth the blast of uh, of shrimp flavor that you get afterwards. So there you go. Shrimp chips. I don't remember the brand name. But you know what? There you go. Snack, snack corner. Here on the Forgot yeah. My Dice podcast. Hey, man. Hey, man. Yeah. I live up in the PNW. Munchies are a key part of our experience up here for reasons. You know what was released today, right? What was released today? The full trailer for Bill and Ted's uh, third adventure. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Bill and Ted face the music. So do that and just remember the famous words, my friend. Be excellent to one another and party on. We should have a watch party because they said they're going to release it on demand on September 2nd for like $20 for rental. I will watch the living daylights out of that. Yeah. I am down. I don't know if I want to do a watch party because we're just going to sit there in silence, though, because I'm actually going to want to pay attention to that movie. We can always watch it a second time. Well, no, it's going to be a $20 rental. We'll have to rent it again to watch it a second time. Oh, they don't give you the 24 hours to watch it just because you get uh, interrupted? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll party on, Robert. <laughs> party on, Jonathan. 
The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 